Hey, sweet friends, this is Andrea, and I'm your host for Inspire on the Go. I'm excited about the chance to talk about life, ministry, and our relationship with Jesus. I can't wait to see what God has in store. So grab a cup of coffee and join the conversation. Hey, everybody. I hope that you're doing really well today. Welcome to week three of the study of Abraham. Welcome to Monday. It's another Monday. They roll around so quickly. I hope that your 2021 is going well. Uh, We are well into January at this point. And one thing that we've been reminded of just in the first few weeks of January is that God is in control, that he is on his throne, and that Anything and everything that happens in life happens under his um, his knowledge and under his sovereignty and under his providence and plan. And so we can take heart every single day, no matter what that day holds. We can take heart knowing that God holds us in the palm of his all-sufficient hand. And so um, I'm excited as we come to the word today because we're going to see Abram continue in his story We're going to continue to see his story unfold. And, you know, last week, Abram blew it as he went to Egypt and he told Pharaoh that Sarah was his uh, sister instead of his wife, and that led to consequences. And so we're going to see Abram come out of that, and he's going back to the land of promise, back to the promised land, back to Canaan, and he's going back as a changed man. And so I want us to, to, first of all, just celebrate the fact that the storms don't have to define us. The storms don't have to determine our character. They don't have to determine the trajectory of our life. Um, the storms, they definitely impact us. They are real. We, we feel them. We experience them. But they do not have to define us. We can be refined through the storm. And we can come out on the other side changed and transformed. Instead of having a fear-filled heart, we can have a trust-filled heart. And what we're going to see in today's study as we look at Genesis chapter 13, we're going to look at the entire passage, is that a trust-filled heart leads to a rich communion with God. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that. I just want that truth to rest on us. Maybe even right now you continue to face your storm. Uh, maybe your storm is long. Maybe it is hard. Maybe there's so many unknown aspects to it. And you feel defined by your storm. You feel defined and boxed in by it. But if we can have a reset on our thinking when it comes to our storms and see that God is purposeful in all of his ways, that he is even right now in your life and my life working all things together for good as we love God, as we serve God, as we seek to know God, as we seek to weather this storm um, with our hearts open to transformation, then we'll be defined. We will be defined by the character of God, the ability of God, the strength of God, and the truth of God, and our our confidence will, will be placed in God. So I hope that those words that I just said, character, ability, strength, and truth. I hope that they grabbed your attention. I hope that they were familiar to you because last week in our study, we introduced the um, definition for trust. 
and um, we said that trust is an assured reliance on the character, the ability, the strength and truth of someone or something, and as a result of knowing that person or thing's character, ability, strength and truth, there is a willingness that exists within us to place our confidence in that person or thing. So I thought it'd be great in today's video to start off giving you the backstory on that definition of trust, how it came into my life, and how in so many ways it changed the direction of my life. I say that um, not being melodramatic, even though I can sometimes be a little bit dramatic, but being so honest with you. If you are familiar with my story, and I know many of you are, you know that when I was born, I was placed up for adoption. I'm 44 years old today, and I don't know many details about how my life began. Uh, I know four details that are recorded on my birth certificate. I know the day that I was born, I know the hospital where I was born, I know the attending physician, and I know that I was a single birth. Those are the four things that I have always known about the beginning of my life. And so if you are adopted or if you have been through a similar situation where the beginning of your life um, has some unknowns, then maybe you can relate to my struggle uh, that I had for many years, which was I allowed the things that I didn't know to define me, to define my perspective, to define how I related to God, how I related to myself, how I related to others. And it was, it was so subtle, you know, I didn't even realize that I was doing it. It was a true blind spot for me. But what I focused on were all the things that were missing instead of the things and the one who was present. And so, I went through life, um, you know, growing up in a wonderful Christian home uh, with wonderful parents. My mom and dad, they uh, brought me into their family and they um, absolutely gave me full standing, never treated me or uh, my brother who's also adopted differently than my sister who's their biological child. I mean, just a picture of God's grace, a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ um, lived out uh, in their lives. And I've been a recipient of that and I'm so grateful for that. But I did allow my perspective on my life to be defined by what I didn't know. And so as a result of that, you know, I didn't know, you know, um, who was there. I didn't know how it happened. I didn't know um, if anybody was looking through the window in of the nursery whenever I was in the hospital for, you know, six days waiting for my parents to come and pick me up. There were so many things that I didn't know, and I focused on those things that I allowed a a seed of doubt to be planted in my heart and my, my mind that led me to believe that from the beginning of my life, it was out of control. Like it was just, just like all these things were happening to me and around me and that I didn't have any control over it. And so for many, many, many years, even though I was raised in a a very wonderful Christian home. I loved going to church. I gave my life to Jesus at a very early age. I was, um, you know, definitely um, privileged in every single way. There was just this deep-rooted lie that came from the enemy and from myself uh, that led me to see my life through the lens of of lack of control. And so that started my journey with trying to get my life under control. 
and I, I was like, I'm going to be in control. Now, I was really nice about it. Like I was, I prayed about different things and I would talk to the Lord about things. But at, at the end of the day, I wanted to call the shots. I wanted to stay in the safe and comfortable places. And I wanted to get to the place where I really wasn't dependent on anyone or anything to make sure that I was okay. So that's the very definition of self-sufficiency and independence. And so um, obviously that is contrary to the gospel, which invites us to have complete dependence on Jesus Christ and to relinquish control of our life to the one who sees and knows and cares and loves and is ultimately directing all things. And so I went through life and uh, all this was just smoldering under the surface, you know, and here's what I did. And I just wonder if this is going to speak to anybody because I had all these smoldering lies of the enemy and lies that came from myself in me, like they were there. And I was just trying to put good things on top of it. So I never really, you know, dug down into the yuck that was there, I would just try to put another Bible study on top of it. Or I'd try to put, you know, um, uh, being a good friend on top of it, or being a good wife, or being a good mom, or, you know, being in ministry and doing all these good things. And I would just try to silence the lies of the enemy and the lies of the flesh by doing good things. And that was my way of trying to be in control. And I wanted the voice of the good things to be louder than the voice of the bad things. Now let me hit pause right there and let me talk about the lies of the enemy and the lies of the flesh because ultimately in our faith journey, we will come into um, a, a moments where we have to look at the, the belief system that we have in place. What do we believe about God? What do we believe about ourselves? What do we believe about life? What do we believe about others? And at some point, there's going to be this intersection between life and God and challenging circumstances and what's housed inside of us. And that provides an opportunity for the renewing of our minds as we let go of, of the lies of the enemy and as we let go of the lies that we've told ourselves, and we embrace the truth that is revealed through God's word and through God's character and through God's ability and his strength and his truth. And so the lies of the enemy, let's talk about that first. We have a very real enemy and his desire, his intention in your life is to steal, kill, and destroy. Uh, we know that scripture tells us that our enemy is not, you know, flesh and blood, but that it is it is, is principalities and powers of darkness and that the, the, the enemy, Satan, he, he roars around, um, you know, like, a, like a, a roaring lion. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. And he's not always really ever upfront about it. He's deceptive in the way that he works. And so he's whispering these lies. He's, he's drawing our focus off of God. And that's a very real reality for us as believers in Jesus Christ, that the enemy is selling us lies. Now, in 
conjunction with that, we have a, a fallen flesh. We live in a sinful world and we too are sinful. So we bring our sinful nature to the table, which is often drawn to the lies of the enemy, which is often drawn to the temporary things of this world, uh, like control or power or possessions or um, identity in, in people pleasing or any manner or of number of things. It could be a, a, just, just a, a, a propensity like in my life to want to call the shots and to just kind of give a nod to God. So we bring all of that to the table and then we go through life and life thankfully has a way of uprooting. Remember, we talked about that last week. It produces and it reveals what's going on on the inside. And so all that's kind of a long backstory to how my encounter with this definition really came to be. I was married at the time and Jay and I had uh, uh, children. Jake and Andrew were already here. Uh, I was speaking and teaching uh, at this time. I was traveling, doing ministry, and I, on the outside, definitely looked like I had it all together. I definitely think that if you'd asked anybody around me, they would have said Andrea's a Bible study girl, uh, that she loves Jesus, that she's given her life to, um, you know, sharing Jesus. And all of that was very true. But because I had never dealt with the lies of the enemy and the lies of my flesh from the very beginning, where I believed my life was out of control, it was like I was using ministry in order to feel valued and needed and accepted and wanted and like I had my place and I had to get this right and I wanted God to bless it but I was really at the center of it all and so I just didn't have a peace and I had a lot of anxiety as a result of that because the pressure was on me uh, to make this ministry thing happen. The pressure was on me to be the perfect wife and the perfect mom and the perfect church member and the perfect ministry leader and the perfect friend and the perfect daughter and the perfect sister. But I was not really approachable or vulnerable enough to have real relationships that were deep uh, in order to really have meaningful moments um, outside of that which I was comfortable with, which was always, I do this part, you do that part, you know, I'll go here, you go there, you do that, I do this, which is more of a controlled partnership. And it was really across the board. I think Jay and I could look back at that at the beginning of our marriage and how, you know, it was, it was, it was a lot of, of, um, I'll do this, you do that. I think it was very much like that in um, my parenting, my early years of parenting, uh, where the kids were like a project, like I'm gonna be the perfect mom and you're gonna be the perfect kids and it's all gonna go well and we're gonna do this thing. I think that happened in my friendships where I was constantly trying to um, please people but not get too close to people. I mean, I know y'all aren't really needing to know all this, but I'm telling you this control issue was huge. and. I was just headed towards like a breakdown, honestly. Like just um, really burnout across the board. And so I was driving to Jonesboro. I remember it, I remember it so clearly. I mean, this was probably 15 years ago now. Uh, I was driving to Jonesboro and I was teaching that night on trusting God and I realized I didn't trust God. <laughs> I mean, like, have you ever had that moment where you're just like, oh, 
No, I mean, it was just like, boom. It just like a huge realization for me that I struggled with letting go of control, trusting God. And then um, later when I wrote my book, God in the Window, 100% realized that I had a huge deal with trusting God. So I asked God as I was driving to Jonesboro, if you will just get me through tonight, then I promise you tomorrow morning, we're going to start dealing with this trust issue. So he got me through. He's so faithful. He's always faithful to the promise. He protects the promise, even when we're sabotaging the promise. And so, um, so I got through that night, I drove back home and I remember canceling my next day's meetings and events and, and, and things. I just, I canceled. I said, I've got to figure this thing out. So I woke up the next morning, I grabbed a cup of coffee, I opened my Bible and I was like, I don't even know where to start when it comes to trusting God. Like I don't even know where to start. And so um, I did something that goes back to my childhood. Also, for those of you who have, um, you know, been around for a while, you know that I struggle with dyslexia and that that has been pretty shaping in my life. And when I was a little girl, I had to use Webster's Dictionary to help understand words um, because my mom, who is and was a remedial reading teacher, she really helped me to figure out like cognitive ways to address my dyslexia and one was to get very close with Webster's Dictionary and to look up definitions. And so I thought, well, I just wonder, like as I was sitting there drinking my coffee that day, I wonder what trusting God it looks like and I wonder what trust means. And so I went to Webster's Dictionary and that's where I found this definition, an assured reliance on the character, the ability, the strength and truth of someone or something. And as a result, a willingness exists to place our confidence in that person or thing. And it was a light bulb moment for me. I thought, my confidence is in myself and my confidence is not in God. And so if I want to move away from myself and move to, towards trusting God, then I better know his character. I better know his ability. I better know his strength and I better know his truth. And so that started a very long journey of looking at each one of those points, character, who God is, ability, what God can do, strength, truth, uh, how God accomplishes tasks, God's pure intentions along the way. And I started just journaling that out and slowly and gradually over time that revealed the lies that I was believing that were planted by the enemy and myself that led to my renewing exercise that I encouraged you to do last week where I was able to identify the three lies and I was able to replace them with three God-sized truths and that was a turning point for me. And so I share that with you to say that if you're in a storm and if you are overwhelmed by life and if you maybe are where I was, which is like life is caving in on me, just know that the storm does not have to define you and that God is at work right now to provide a path for you to trust him as you know his character, as you know his ability, as you know his strength, and as you know his truth. So dig deep, sister. Dig in there and do the hard work of renewing. So we're going to turn our attention now to Genesis chapter 13. And once again, uh, in today's lesson, we're going to see four key points that are leading to one transforming truth. Uh, let's pick up in Genesis chapter 13. Let me set the context for you by saying that Abram has left Egypt. He is back in the promised land. He's back in the place of promise. And God is going to move in a powerful way to remind Abram of the promise. Not only is he going to remind him of the promise, he is going to further deepen 
the reality of the promise for Abram. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, for your truth um, that that has the ability to saturate our hearts and our minds and to transform us uh, into your likeness. And so for every person listening to this video right now, God, would you speak to our hearts as only you can? Would you teach us, Lord? Would you would you change us? Would you challenge us, Lord, uh, to experience deep communion with you as we trust in you, that we would push beyond control, that we would push beyond the superficial, that we would push beyond, uh, you know, just trying to put good things on top of the bad things, on top of the yucky things, and that we would truly be open to a move of you in and through our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so picking up in Genesis chapter 13, looking at verse 1 and following. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And so the first thing that we need to remember whenever we're coming out of a storm and we're going uh, back into that place where we're open to God, renewing our hearts and renewing our minds is that it's very important for us to go back to the place of worship. That's what Abram is going to do. As soon as he gets back into the land, he's going to go back to the very last place where he built an altar and where he had an encounter with God. Whenever God brings Abram back to the land, he brings him back healthier and stronger than when he left. And I love that about God. I love that God was protecting the promise and he was also further positioning Abram to experience the promise. Um, in Egypt, even though that was a sinful moment in Abram's life, God used it. And, and as he used it, Abram was able to collect livestock, gold, and silver. So he comes back as a very wealthy man. He comes back into the land and the scripture says that he travels around the land and then he settles in the place of Bethel. And so I don't know if that word Bethel, you know, um, uh, brings anything to mind or not, but back in Genesis chapter 12, whenever God made that initial promise to Abram and Abram settled in the, a land initially and he built an altar and he worshiped God. He was in the place of Bethel. So we see that Abram is going back to the place of worship. Let's see that in verse three. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. If you are in a place where you just don't know what you need to do, okay, let's just be so honest. Maybe you're in that place where I was about, you know, 15 years ago, and I've been there plenty of times since, my sweet sisters. But whenever you go, I, I know God is working, I know He's doing something, but I don't know what it is, and I'm not sure how to move forward from here. Go back to your Bethel. Go back to that last place where you know that God spoke and he moved. Go back to that place in your heart and in your mind and think about your level of trust and your level of faith and your level of obedience in that moment. When we go back to the place of worship, it reminds us of everything that we need to know about God and his faithful work in and through our lives so that we can move forward. This concept reminds me of Colossians 2 verses 6 and 7 where it says, so then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. When we look at that 
passage out of Colossians. And when we think about continuing on, moving on with the things of God in our life, we're reminded to go back to living just as we lived when we first received Jesus. Can you remember that day? Do you remember that day of salvation in your life? For me, I was a little girl. I was six years old. But let me tell you, just just because I was little, it didn't mean that I didn't have big, extraordinary faith on that particular day. I believed God. I loved God. I was all in with God. Um, there was nothing that was too big that my God could not do. My God saved me. He, he, was, he was moving me from spiritual death to spiritual life. And all of my trust, all of my faith, all of my hope was in Him. And so think about the moment when you know, or the moments, those spiritual markers in your life where you know God showed up and he spoke to you. Maybe um, you could journal about it this week and you could go back and you could trace your life, trace the, the story of God as seen in your life and, and just think about and to remember and to celebrate every single moment when God showed up and he moved so clearly and how you responded to him in that moment is how you need to respond in this moment. For me, it's that I was open. It was that I gave up control. It was that I was expectant. It was that I was excited. It was that I was all in with God because I knew he was all in with me. So when you're coming out of the storm, when you're trying to get your bearings, go back to the place of worship. As we go back to the place of worship, we are reminded who God is and who we are in relationship to God, and that positions us to move forward. So Abram went back to Bethel. He built another altar and he worshiped God there. It's like he was staking into the fabric of our life, his, his life that God is good and that God is trustworthy, that God has a plan and that God will make a way. Very important, go back to your Bethel, go back to your place of worship, nail down the things that you've always known to be true about God and start living out of that truth instead of the lies of the enemy and the lies of your flesh. The second thing that we're gonna see in Genesis chapter 13 is as we're coming out of the storm, we need to seek peace and we need to pursue peace. So we're gonna see that Abram, he encounters another pinch. Like life just has a way of continually throwing these pinches at us. It's like, you know, we're doing so good and we're making progress and things are going well and then life happens. Remember how I said that in the introduction? It's like life has a way of showing us what's going on on the inside of us. And so we see this in verses seven and eight. There is so much packed into these two verses. Let's look at them together, starting in verse seven. So remember, they're back in the land. Um, Abram's there, Lot's there. They have all these livestock. They have all these animals. They have all these possessions that they acquired in Egypt. And there begins to be some quarreling between Abram's um, herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen. So we're going to see some tension come into the story. Let me pick up in verse 5. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. Verse 7. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. 
Okay, so we see that there's some tension. We see that there's a pinch. We see that there is some quarreling there. And I want you to notice this next statement in the Word of God because it is profoundly important. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So God was raising up Abram to form him into a nation. And the reason that God was raising up Abram to form him into a nation was to show the difference that God makes among a people, uh, to show the difference uh, between the Canaanites, the Perizzites, and the Israelites, to show uh, the difference of living for God and with God and to God and through God, and, and then contrasting that to living for little g gods. And so, the fact that the Canaanites and the Perizzites were observing a discord between Abram and Lot and the herdsmen of Abram and Lot was a huge problem, not only for the holiness of God, but for the um, witness of Abram and the nation that God was creating him to be. I think there's a side note for, here, for us in this. Uh, we are God's chosen people as believers in Jesus Christ. We are the people of God. Uh, in uh, 1 Peter, it talks about how we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, how we have been brought out of darkness into his marvelous light, and that through that process, we're able to display the difference that Jesus makes in us. And yet we live in a fallen world that is full of people who need to see the difference that Jesus makes in us. And oftentimes, what do they see? They see us quarreling with one another. They see us on social media. They see us in our communities. They see us uh, in our conversations and we're cutting each other down and we're, 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 we're just being ugly to one another because we, we, I think, sometimes feel like we're right and that we have this obligation to, to prove what is right. Uh, or to prove what is wrong. And while we are so encouraged through Scripture to speak the truth in love, Jesus is our perfect model here. Jesus came to seek and to save and to serve, and every bit of it was in love. And so I think there's an important point for us here. As we're coming out of the storm, as we're living in this fallen world that continually puts a pinch on us, we need to seek peace and pursue it. We need to give up. And I, I'm just going to say this for me. I need to give up the right of being right about something and live right instead. Just let my words, let my actions, let my reactions point to Jesus and let Jesus do the convicting. Let him be the one through the work of the Holy Spirit to reveal and to draw people to um, himself. And certainly we always want to be ready to give an account for the hope that we have, but we can do it with with dripping with love, dripping with grace, and dripping with a heart not to be right, but to point people to the one who is right. So just a little bit of a side note there as we talk about seek peace and pursue it. And so we see that because Abram had a trust-filled heart instead of a fear-filled heart, he was able to do something very, very important um, in this moment. Instead of continuing on quarreling uh, between the herdsmen of Lot and Abram, instead of trying to prove that he was right and that Abram was and that Lot was wrong, he um he trusted God in this moment by going to Lot and saying, you know what, we need to separate. We are brothers 
and we need to separate because there's all of this land and a lot, if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. And if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. And we see that in that moment, this is our third point, that Abram trusted God with the outcome. Abram wasn't trusting Lot in this moment. He was trusting God and knowing that in God's sovereignty and his providence and his plan that that God's plan would ultimately come to pass. I can't help but go back to my birth and to tell you a little bit more about that story uh, in this particular moment of this story with Abram. You see, what I've since learned about my life is that there were multiple sets of adoption papers that were written up for me, but ultimately because God was in control in his sovereignty, his providence, and his plan, he made sure that I was with the right people at the right time for his right purpose and so at no point was my life out of control. Every single moment, God was leading, guiding, and directing, and he was positioning me for the life that he had for me. He was blessing the plans that needed to be blessed. He was frustrating the plans that needed to be frustrated, and all of it was under his watch care. So we see Abram in a very trust-filled moment here as he says, brother, we shouldn't be quarreling. Let's separate. Let's 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 divide. And, and we, if you go one direction, I'll go the other direction. So let's see this play out in verses eight and nine. Let me pick up in verse eight. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. I love that statement. It is the reminder that ultimately what connects us I'm gonna make a New Testament application here. What connects us is not the temporary circumstances of life, but it is the eternal plan of God that was secured with Jesus's blood shed on the cross for every single one of us. We are brothers. Is it not, uh, is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. So we see that in this moment, Abram was able to trust God with the outcome of the situation. And he simply said, I'm gonna seek peace and I'm gonna pursue it. And, and Lot, whichever direction you wanna go, you go. Down deep, Abram was not placing his trust in Lot, he was placing his trust in God. All right, so we see that Lot goes to the plains of, um, of um, Jordan. He goes to the plains of Jordan, and we see that Abram ends up going uh, back into uh, Canaan, into that, that open land. And so even in that decision between Abram and Lot, we see that Abram kept his eyes on the prize, while Lot, he compromised according to the ways of this world. Let's look at verse 14. And well, really, I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna pick up verse 10 because there's some detail in here that we need to see. Lot looked up and saw the whole plain of the Jordan as well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. So I wanna stop right there because there's an important lesson for us in this. Lot had a temporary mindset as he looked up and as he saw the plains of Jordan, he saw what looked like Egypt and he wanted to go towards that which looked like Egypt. And we know that that's gonna lead him towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And so remember, Egypt in the word of God represents the world. So we see probably that Lot had been slowly compromising his time in Egypt, the storm in Egypt, did not lead him to a trust-filled heart, but rather a heart that, that, that recognized and longed for the things of this world. So he goes the way of the world, he goes towards Egypt. Now, 
Now, Abram, he takes on a completely uh, different different set of uh, circumstances. Verse 11, so Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and they were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south and east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offsprings forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offsprings could be counted. Go walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. So we see that Lot exits um, towards Sodom and Gomorrah Abram goes back to the land of Canaan and he has this encounter with God where God reconfirms the promise. He is, he is, he is in a sense responding to the obedience and the faith of Abram. You see that Abram has eliminated the distractions through Lot. He's eliminated the quarreling. He's eliminated the drama. He's eliminated, you know, the things of this world and, and God meets him there. And, and we see that God God talks to Abram and he says, listen, you didn't blow it. You didn't, you know, lose the promise. I'm going to reconfirm the promise to you. I want you to walk the length and the breadth of the land. I want you to experience all that I have for you and all that I have for your offsprings. And I want you just to let that, you know, soak into you in the midst of maybe your storm. Just know that right now God is positioning you to experience all of him. He's stripping away. He's refocusing. He is reminding us what really matters and what really counts. He is helping us to have a, a, a vision uh, that is uh, so much bigger than the temporary. And through that process, we're going to experience communion with him. We're going to experience a richness. We're going to experience a joy that comes not from our circumstances, not from our Egypt, but from our relationship with God. I want to show this to you in scripture because it is so beautiful. So uh, Abram uh, walks the length and the breadth of the land. Can you imagine him just going through and knowing that God was faithful, that God was with him, that God um, had always had a plan and that God was executing that plan even when Abram wasn't protecting it. Look at verse 18. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Marm at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. I want to tell you about these two words. First of all, the the, the words Marm, M-A-R-M-A-M-R-E, that can be translated as richness. And then the word Hebron, it can be translated as communion. Abram, as he lived in the land, had the opportunity for a rich communion with God. And it came as a result of him trusting God in the middle of that pinch with Lot and where he was saying, I'm going to let go of the distractions. I'm going to let go of the drama. I'm going to let go of everything that is not honoring to God because my witness in the land matters. And so I'm going to go the way of God. I'm going to seek peace. I'm going to pursue it. I'm going to trust God with the outcome. And the beautiful reality that Abram experienced right there in that moment is that he had a rich communion with God. Let's just close with this thought. In the midst of your situation and circumstance, what would it look like for you to have a rich communion with God? 
Here's how we can achieve or experience or um, find that place. We can, number one, we can go back to the place of worship, that last time that we know God spoke to us or every time that we know that God spoke to us. We can seek peace and pursue it. We can let go of the drama. We can let go of the struggle. We can let go of the tension. We can let go of anything that is a distraction to being God's holy chosen people, um, a, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God, a people that declares the difference that Jesus makes in us. We can trust God with the outcome of that letting go process because sometimes that is life altering. Sometimes that does change the direction of our life. And then we can keep our eyes focused on the prize. Uh, we know for us, our prize is heavenward. It's, it's in glory. It is with Jesus. Uh, and I don't, I'm going to pick this up and, and talk about it next week, but we have to realize we are on a journey that, that is, it is moving us towards glory. It's moving us towards eternity. And what we do here matters, but ultimately our home is with God in heaven for all of eternity. Uh, as you turn to your, uh, uh, your homework, I've encouraged you to go uh, to Psalms chapter one and to read that passage of scripture and to apply that passage of scripture to your everyday circumstances. And then I wanna encourage you to write down these four key points from our study today that we need to go back to the place of worship, seek peace and pursue it, trust God with the outcome and keep our eyes on the prize and use those four points in your journal to just journal out where you are, where God is taking you and the steps you need to take that will get you from here to there. I love you so much. Uh, I know this video was a little bit longer than normal, but I sure wanted to share my um, story with you because I think we're all in this together. We all know what it's like to both want to and need to trust God. And as we follow hard after him, friends, listen, we will experience a rich communion with God that will lead to peace that passes all understanding that will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, even in the midst of that storm. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. I hope today's episode helps you embrace the full free abundant life that God provides. Don't forget to follow, like, and subscribe to Inspire on the Go. If you would like more encouragement to help you grow in your faith, visit my website at andrealennonministry.org. Come back next time and enjoy another episode of Inspire on the Go.